0: Welcome to Ship Talk, the SRE edition. I'm Jim Hirschauer, your host for today. Ship Talk is a DevOps podcast brought to you by Harness, the software delivery platform, and the SRE edition focuses on reliability topics. My guest today is Hillary Lipsig from Red Hat. Hilary, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Jim. Happy to be here. My name is Hillary Lipsig. I am Chief Mermaid at Red Hat. And if you look me up on LinkedIn, that's really there. If you've seen my talks, that's my title. And the reason for that title is because I am the technical lead for a small subdivision in Red Hat called Strategy Enablement and Architecture out of our larger service delivery organization. And when they said, hey, you really can't have Principal Site Reliability Engineer on your job title anymore because you're not really, you know, an SRE that way what do you think a good business card title would be for you? I said, Chief Mermaid Officer, because uh, it was finally my opportunity to grow up and be a mermaid like I'd always wanted. So uh, they laughed, but we did it. So that that is my official unofficial business card title, which is delightful.
0: That's probably the greatest title I've heard so far. So congrats on that.
1: Thank you. I'm very proud of it. Someday they will probably make me change it, but today is not that day.
0: Awesome. Keep it as long as you can, for sure. Well, Hillary, you know, we've talked about the format of the show. We have a couple of sections that are called Just for Fun, and then we get into the main topic. So we're going to start off with a Just for Fun section. And we, when we were talking earlier, you, you used a word that I had never heard before. So I'm not sure if you made up this word, or at least you're like a really early adopter of this new word, but I feel like we should all know what this word is. So why don't you go and explain that?
1: Sure. So people tell me I made up this word. I do not believe it, but the people I thought I learned it from insisted they learned it from me. So who knows where this came from? So when you're looking at a pod in Kubernetes and it has an out of memory or an OOM, somewhere along the way, I said, ah, that's ooming. And people are like, what? And I said, yeah, ooming. It's like, you know, you say oom for out of memory. It's it's ooming. It's a verb. It's delightful. And this has caught On to some degree here in Red Hat. Others have picked it up. Again, I'm credited with this. I'm certain I did not come up with this. I must have heard this somewhere. So if anybody knows who I learned it from, they deserve all the accolades. But I will tell you that, like I said, it's delightful. And I have been on a call with a customer that was very serious, very tense. They were rightfully so, really upset. And I used the term. And then I paused to explain the term. And, you know, it's not like magically everything was better, but like suddenly there were smiles on the call, people were laughing and it it seriously reduced the whole tension of the situation because I wasn't taking myself or anything very seriously or the right level of levity is really what I want to say is what that brings into the conversation. Yeah. And so then we got back to our very serious
0: (laughs) discussions (laughs) Well, that's awesome. I, I love the word. And I, I'm curious, though, can you use the word a little more generically? Or does it have to be like really related to an out of memory error? Can can I use that word if, let's say the system is just like chugging along and performing poorly? Can I say, oh, it's ooming? It's is it almost like Googling something?
1: Uh, no, I, I do feel like it is kind of pretty specific because it maps back to a very like, you see OOM visually on the like OC get pod or not OC. I'm sorry. That's a very open shift thing. Kube CTL, like get pods or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work in OpenShift. We have our own CLI it's opinionated and I have that completely memorized much to my occasional detriment when I wonder why it doesn't work on vanilla Kubernetes.
0: Right. All right, good. So I've learned today that I can use this word ooming if I see an out of memory exception. So next time I see one, that's definitely, it's ingrained in my memory now for sure. I love it. I feel like I'm just going to give you credit because you're the first person I've heard it from. So if anyone asks me, I'm going to say I heard it from you and origin being unknown. I think you really deserve the credit at this point. If it really starts taking off.
1: I will humbly accept that credit.
0: Thank you. (laughs) Okay. All right. So let's get a little more serious now and, and jump into our main topic. So, you know, we had a chance yesterday to chat a little bit before the show and you were talking about observability and, you know, I've been in and around the observability space personally for over a decade. My background as a practitioner goes back into the monitoring realm, which is kind of the, I'd say the the granddaddy of of modern observability. And I think most of us that are either on the show right now or listening to the show we all know how and why we should be using observability to identify and resolve production incidents but yesterday you said to me that we can and we should be doing more with all of that data so I'd love for you to explain your position on that
1: Sure and I'd like to hope this isn't a controversial position one of the one of the projects that I'm I'm working on with Red Hat is it's a data project, and we were working through the personas of how, how do we be a more data driven organization and, and what kind of data do we really need to be that? And so, and I swear, this is not an original thought. I'm sure I learned this as from somebody who was much smarter than I am, but uh, I said that, you know, one of the things that we could be doing is actually demonstrating our, cloud, like usage metrics. So what are we doing with CPU and what are we doing with memory? And then using that to compare to, you know, when we're, pl- when we're doing these plannings for these systems, we typically have some sort of profile here. So the first is of course that profiling, like where are we in our, our usage compared to how we, you know, how we forecasted to make sure we're, you know, kind of keeping track of that. That'll all maps back to spend, which everybody is really caring about right now, which you should always care about actually. And the other thing that I said was, you know, it's important to watch trends as well in these usage and not just like looking over the course of the month or a course of the day, but looking a little bit more granularly. And so there's actually an example from the SRE team that I I joined at Red Hat actually is to, that was the team I came on to that I'm, I'm no longer a part of, although I still love them and they love me, I think. But Anyway, the, there was... Some thresholds that were set up in Prometheus that would create warning alerts, and it would just be for things like CPU and memory and so forth. And because of these thresholds, we noticed things like memory leaks in the codes. And there's a couple things that like, happens when a memory leak is happening. A couple symptoms. So it's not just that your memory usage goes up and up and up. But actually your CPU will start churning and churning and churning, even in virtualized hardware. It will work harder and harder to try and reclaim as much memory as possible to try to prevent an out of memory. And so taking a look at that kind of data and looking at that data a little bit more granularly, we can start actually looking for issues in our software. And of course, so we had set alerts on that to let us know that there might be a memory leak. But you can actually, with more data, cause again, that was one simple Prometheus rule. You can actually get a little bit more intelligent about it as well. And so that's one of the things that I'm trying to drive as kind of a, a cultural push within Red Hat is, and I know I'm not alone in this. I really don't want to say that there's nobody else doing this. It's just, I've, I've joined on to this, to this type of an effort. It's this idea that we should be using our metrics to look and see if we can be improving our software. Because if we profile our software and then we run our software with like the profiles we've defined. So we've got memory limits and CPU requests. And yes, CPU limits. I know that CPU limits are like, people are like, you don't need them. I will argue that. It's a whole other 25 minute conversation. But yes, CPU limits as well. And so, if we're constantly running close to your limits or even occasionally like hitting the limits and then things restart and run fine for a while those might not necessarily all result in incidents or downtime or alerts but all these things tell you that your software is probably not operating as well as it could be and so we want to look into why is our software not operating as well as it could be because the nature of of working in a cloud native environment or kubernetes is often that i have seen sometimes certain things can kind of be hidden for a while, because it's highly available, because it restarts and brings itself back up to a desired state. There might not be any seriously noticeable blip, but that doesn't mean that the blips that exist are acceptable either.
0: Yeah. So, you know, you make an interesting point, being proactive with this type of activity. First of all, most companies have this type of data. They have observability solutions in house or in place at least, and there's a, a wealth of data at most companies. What I think is interesting about this is, is you made the point really early on that we should always be concerned with costs. And what I've seen happen is to over-provision your resources with your cloud computing provider, or we used to do this you know, back in the days of the plain old data center. We just used to over-provision the heck out of our hardware so that We could avoid these issues for as long as possible, avoid the out-of-memory exception from kicking in and and causing an error, causing an impact to our users. But that's, in my mind, especially in today's world, is completely unacceptable. That goes out the window and we have to do a better job as an IT community of creating services that respond to behave properly that we don't have to over-provision and really waste a ton of money on. So I think you're really onto something here, you know, just besides the fact that you can make an overall better customer experience by having better performing software, you can end up saving your company significant cost, you know, across all of the different services that most companies have due to that over-provisioning.
1: Yeah, and this is actually one of the, this goes into the, I I swear I did not intend to derail our entire conversation into CPU limits, (laughs) Uh, but it actually, it actually came up very recently and I explained to somebody all the reasons why I'm in favor of them. And I'll give a, a high level overview here, which is one, I'm not only dealing with virtualized hardware, I'm dealing with real hardware. So I can't just let processes do whatever they want. It actually is, is finite. And if you're over committing your CPU on real hardware, you're shortening your hardware's lifespan. So if you think about how expensive a server is, first of all, it's extremely wasteful to shorten its lifespan. Second of all, it's drawing more energy, which is extremely wasteful because it causes more pull there and more actually uh, impacts the overall ambient temperature, which means the AC needs to run wherever that server is located more often. So as you said, it's not just about the immediate company's fiscal situation. But then we start getting into the environmental impacts of not having performance software, which I think about all the time, because when I'm thinking about the size of, of the Red Hat customer base and, and so forth, these enterprise scales, these are actually things that start coming up. We have projects around sustainability and, and environmental impact as I think a lot of major companies do these days. And so it's, these are the types of things that you know we're caring about. These are the types of ways we're wanting to use data. And since we already have the data, it honestly would be almost irresponsible not to use it to figure out how to make everything better holistically and looking at the holistic picture of our software. And since I'm somebody with an operational background, I care about how it's performing.
0: Yeah, makes sense. So let me ask you this. Sometimes it's really easy to say we should do this thing. The reality that most companies are faced with, and and most SREs or folks who are responsible for reliability and performance of overall systems, is that they are typically pretty far behind in their main job responsibilities. So what advice can you give folks to start to transition from using their observability data in a reactive methodology, where they're just putting out fires all the time, to being able to truly switch over into this proactive mode, where they're looking at things ahead of time and and trying to make sure that the systems are actually performant in the right way so that they can right size things. I know it's it's just a very difficult thing to make that transition in some companies. So how would you suggest folks do that?
1: And so I wanna actually point out here, Red Hat is it's no different. We're struggling through some of these same problems right now and one of the initiatives I am responsible for at Red Hat is something called Hybrid SRE, which is an interesting name. And this is the idea that we stop throwing code over the wall to SREs. I spent 11 years in quality engineering before I moved to SRE. And I experienced in quality engineering how bad throwing code over the wall can be. And so what what I did when I was head of quality engineering in my in my last role was I actually had the quality engineers working on the engineering team's working on unit testing, making unit tests a little bit more similar to kind of more like the, the standard way of quality engineering, thinking about testing with of like integration and regression and putting that, shifting it left into the unit testing framework, especially with microservices, that's really easy to do. It's much harder. It was much harder in the monolithic architectures. So we really just need to be doing the same thing, that same type of partnership with SRE and service engineers, like was what we call them. And so we started doing, we've, we've pushed off this initiative and it's about getting the engineers closer to their operations and the operations folks closer to the engineering so that you've got better communication, better partnership. And a lot of that is actually process engineering where we're putting together processes of like, okay, here's how we're going to do these things. And so what we're doing is by putting in these processes that generally make the software more reliable. And give it a baseline higher level of service maturity out the gate, that actually frees up the SREs to do a little bit more of that proactive work. So it really requires a strong partnership between SRE and the software developers who are on the service, It's kind of dividing and conquering. So SRE should be putting out things and guidance and best practices to their engineering teams to say, hey, In our environments, this is what we know. These are the good patterns that make for performance software. And then it's incumbent on engineering to deliver software that matches those patterns that helps. And then it must be an ongoing partnership of like, okay, how are we performing? How many incidents are we getting? What kind of trends are we seeing in the incidents? There's a great practice that our platform re-team does, which is where they actually take like some major incidents especially anything that's recurrent. And they put together what we call a tiger team and they'll go and kind of like do a deep dive and it's cross-functional. And so that's really the thing that I, I have to say is the way to get there. It's what we've been doing. It's what we see working. We've seen some really great outcomes of like, you know, certain failures going away completely or, you know, being reduced. And so, and we also have requirements of toil. If you're having SRE run your service then our toil levels must be below 50%. If you breach that, if your service breaches it, then we can't keep our commitments to our customers, which means that engineering teams must come on and start actively doing that toil until they can basically help automate it away or resolve the issues within the service that is leading to that toil, that manual labor. So there's a kind of a lot of little pieces that go into this. And it's about relationships and process primarily. And I would just say, you need to implement these things iteratively. If you're looking holistically at the problems in your organization or the problems with your communication, there's going to be some really bigger issues. And then there's going to be some probably low-hanging fruit. And definitely just do that. Do that. Here's a low-hanging fruit thing that we could be doing better. Let's go solve that. And I love the cross-functional, cross-functional tiger teams for that, which is also similarly, we have a cross-functional chaos engineering game where we play with services and we break them and do incident response and like engineers and CEE and SRE all take turns playing each other's role in an incident response to learn about things. And we usually get good insights into our software out of those games as well, which results in better, more resilient and reliant software.
0: Wow, I feel like maybe I need to have you back on the show for a completely separate show about that topic, chaos engineering and and working on resiliency. That's a huge topic in and of itself.
1: Yeah, it is. And these are all just pieces of how we're putting together this bigger holistic data story at Red Hat, right? That's one of the things that feeds into our overall service health index that we're working towards and our overall data story of here is here is how we're doing, here's how things are, and then ultimately working towards even more proactive work.
0: Yeah, you know, so I do work for Harness, and what you said really resonated with me. At Harness, we are building our software to align with exactly with what you were just talking about. So, you know, trying to make sure those processes are in place and automating the process across the software delivery lifecycle to ensure quality code reliable code making its way through the the life cycle so that when it hits production you're in much better shape overall so like from a a philosophical perspective i think we're completely aligned there it's really hard to do in practice without good tooling to help you process can be very difficult in and of itself it's hard to control that unless you actually like automate it in some ways what we've been finding
1: yeah absolutely 100 percent and There are a lot of pieces of the things that I talked about that are automated. And even as much as the chaos engineering stuff, right? Lots of chaos engineering things exist. We run it as a game because it's a team building as well. And so that also is fun because people get to be red team and they have to like reverse engineer their software. How am I going to break it? We run it as a live game, but there's all kinds of automation opportunities. Places where GitOps can really, we use GitOps to actually solve alerts in the SRE teams at Red Hat. So places where things like that can really come in and and bolster the actions. Automation should really be about making your humans more efficient, right? And so any any kind of automated tool that does that is probably a great idea.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, we are out of time on our main topic, and it's been really interesting and insightful. And I, I really mean it. I think I would love to have you back on the show at a later time where we could discuss more about these you know, chaos engineering game days that you all put on. I'd love to hear some detail about that. So if you're willing to I'd love to have you back on the show.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. That's it was an initiative I'm extremely proud of. It was actually one of mine. It's not like I came up with the game. It follows the capture the flag style pattern, mm-hmm. uh, but the initiative was mine and it's caught on and it's gone very well. I'm very proud of that one.
0: Okay. Yeah, we will definitely save that topic and talk about that on a future show. Right now, we're going to transition to Just for Fun number two. So, Hillary, outside of work, what's your favorite hobby?
1: My favorite hobby is called HEMA. It is historical European martial arts, and it is a style of sword fighting. Specifically, I'm learning what is called the Meyer system. And it is a late German style of fencing, like what knights, you know, would have done and would have trained in. And it also includes, in addition to the sword techniques, also grappling and wrestling techniques as well. Um, It's very fun. For people who follow me on Twitter, you will see uh, there's a clip from my first tournament, first match of me just getting thwacked on the head.
0: And what's your Twitter Twitter handle, real quick?
1: Caffeinated integrations, institute caffeinate. It's at the number two, and then caffeinate which i okay. cannot spell because i have dyslexia.
0: <laughs> okay, no no problem. I think people will be able to find you.
1: <laughs> probably, probably. Yeah. So, it's a very fun expensive sport. We fight with the swords are 48 inches long, so that's 4 feet in the imperial system and about a meter and a third in the metric mm-hmm. system. And uh, yeah, so they're kind of heavy. They're yeah, big. Yeah and uh, it's great stress relief though because when you have all the armor on and everybody you know is fighting with control that's a really big thing with the the sport is you must use control because the swords are heavy and dangerous even though they're training swords and then after that it's great stress relief because you're just hitting your friends with a really big stick
0: <laughs> i love it it's, i've i had never heard of this before you mentioned it it's it's like this whole new world of activity that i had no idea existed it's amazing
1: It is an extremely fun sport. It is a very friendly sport. The people in HEMA are, it's just the type of culture where after a tournament match, right, you've just been just wailing on each other, right? You hug, you give a just big hug, just hug it out, right? Hold the whole thing. People are smiling, they're hugging, you're sweaty and disgusting. This is a stranger and you're still full force as hard as you can hugging this person because that's like the type of the type of attitude that it has. And if you've done other types of martial arts, I will tell you that the tournament vibes are not the same. This is a very joyful sport and some of the absolute coolest people I have ever met, including my best friend and her husband and my own husband participate.
0: It sounds amazing from the way you describe it. I I definitely want to check it out. I live in Austin, so it's highly likely there's a a place near me that can teach me this and it sounds like it's good exercise. It's, it's, I'd imagine it's really strenuous.
1: It is a full body exercise. Like you, in order to be doing this correctly, you must be engaging like every single muscle. I was at a class last night and everything hurts, but it's like the good type of hurt. Yeah.
0: (laughs) All right. Okay, listen, Hillary. thank you so much for being on the show, sharing your new word with us. I love that, ooming as a verb. So remember that our listeners need to start using that whenever they see out of memory exceptions. I love that you shared a completely new sport and hobby with me, so I'm excited to to dig into that. And your main topic was just incredibly insightful, so I think it's something that I never really considered all that we can do with observability data and all that's possible and all the really good reasons for us that we should do it. So you're very humble, but you are super insightful, so I just wanted to thank you for for everything that you shared today.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me on. This was a real joy for me and I'd be happy to come back anytime.
0: Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. And to all of our listeners, if you are an SRE or if you're in a related role and you want to be a guest speaker on Ship Talk, please send an email to podcast at shiptalk.io and we'll get back to you. That's all for now. Until next time.